Oh, yes. This is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show, sponsored by Cheshire Impact, on a mission to help people maximize their use of Pardot and Salesforce. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. We're on, we're recording, we're live. Congratulations to Liverpool. We have one of their biggest fans here today. Uh, he is awesome. He is going to be so much fun to talk to. I can't wait to introduce you to him. He is a B2B SaaS marketing leader, a CMO, a go-to-market advisor. He's got three passions, MarTech, CX, analytics. And we're going to talk a lot about that and how we get that wrong and how we get that right. Um, and then also, he's got a specialty on the mid-market side. And I know a lot of times there's there's content and talking about the, the small guys or the big guys. And the guys in the middle are like, hey, what about us? Well, now is your day. Today is it. And he's worked at a lot of great brands. If you look at him on LinkedIn, CMO consultant, advisor, Iris VR. Alon Wax, welcome, sir. Hello. Glad to be here. Man, I, I love you got the jersey on and everything. You got the, you got the full kit? You're wearing the socks too? No, the socks are not on. Only my son has the socks. They don't fit me anymore. And because uh, during this time, I'm 400 miles away from home, they only bought two shirts of Liverpool. I forgot they're going to win, and we might be stuck this long. But hey, still counts. 30 that's years. Good. That's it. That was, that was yesterday, right? That was yeah. what happened? After 30 years, we finally won the Premier League Championship. Uh, it's a very important moment. Even more important than, than the rise of ABM is Liverpool uh, winning. Uh, I'll agree to that. <laughs> for sure, based on also based on what people assume AI is, uh, I will for sure agree to that. Um, man, you know that's that's fantastic. You're you're in the gear. It just happened. Were you one of the ones staying up till uh, all hours of night last night? There was no. We we won at about um, seven p.m. because our main competitors lost. So it's not the best way of winning, but the celebration shall continue. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like you went all night and now you're, you're waking up. You see, you're, you're clean shaven. Not like you partied all night. So I guess it's a week-long party then. It's a marathon of celebration. <laughs> at my age, you need to pace yourself. Uh, the sprint might happen at the end after you get a few shots in, but right now it's a marathon of celebration. Yeah, those are wise words. We're already giving wise words to people. Let me, let me pass you this thing over here. You can probably wield this. I think Liverpool wielded this last night. Here it is. It's Thor's hammer. You got it? Thank you, you my grab friend. It? Oh. Okay, yeah. Take that and smash for me some kind of marketing myth bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. I know you love smashing things. I know you hate bullshit. So let's make it happen. Yeah, I get really pissed off at some um, statements by non-marketers and also old school marketers. For example, tell me how many visitors your site has. It's so important. At a board meeting, let's look at that. Or tell me how many people were demos. Like Those are great things to look at, but they're secondary. Please yeah. start with the KPIs that really matter. You know what? It's funny. I, yesterday, I literally saw, I don't want to out the people that did this, but I saw a, a blog post and it was like the 19 KPIs that can, you can track. And you, I was like, that seems like a lot of KPIs to be key. They're not K. Yeah. They're, metrics. they're PIs. They're, they're M's. <laughs> Just an I. <laughs> Just an I. Just an indicator. Right. So do you, have you really been at a board meeting where they bring up the visitors to the site? Yeah, so it's, it's not just board meeting, board meetings, and also a lot of founders and CEOs, which I respect a lot, and they do things that sure. I cannot. Sorry, I've never founded a company. I'm a full-time executive marketer and done a lot, a lot of this in my life. But yeah, yeah. 
but I, in the field of understanding payback and understanding marketing metrics which matter, you have to start from the most important to the lowest. Got How it. many visitors you had or 10% increase in visitors or sometimes you go to a board meeting or even sit with the executive meeting and like, oh no, we looked at our, at our dashboard which has way too many metrics and not KPIs on it and we see that our blog visitors is down 10%. I'm like, so what? Right. But that's terrible. Um, but why are you looking at the only one piece of the glass half empty? If right. your blog is now inviting 80% of the right people versus 20% before, and it's converting at 4x times, and you're getting a lower cost per lead, then who cares how many? Do we want 5 million more people coming? Sure. But you used to pay for them so much money. So what do you care about that? You're looking at the wrong way. Right. Look at payback. Payback is the number one KPI that I care about. Oh, what do you mean by payback? What is that? Dollar in, dollar out of pipeline. So for Got example, it. if I now tell you that I'm the CMO and talking to my CEO and CFO and any other nice three-letter title, and I'm asking them, okay, what do you need from us like to hit your number for next year? Okay, we need 10 million pipeline for marketing. Cool. What, should, what budget have you, like I just came in and consulting them. What yeah. budget do you need for that? Oh, well, we don't know, but we, we used to spend $5 million on marketing. That sounds good. So that's a 2X um, on $5 million you spend on variable marketing. And you're making 2X on that in pipeline with your win rate of 20 or 30%. That's terrible ROI. Oh, what right. Is, how much money do you spend on marketing? Variable and then fully loaded. And how much pipeline do you create out of it? So, so that I call that pipeline payback. And then full payback is ROI. You spent $100 on marketing. From that, you attributed enough to close $300. That means you have positive payback. It's good. Got it. Let's go. There's two. There's pi sorry, there's pipeline payback. And that's how much money do you spend in marketing? Does that include like the team themselves and the staff or? Yeah, excellent question. So I yeah. divide it into two because the things which you can control with this from a leading indicator perspective yeah. and the things which are lagging. Headcount, the cost of air condition, the cost of toilet paper is a lagging indicator. Okay. Right? You, oh, you bought toilet paper in bulk. You don't know how much the marketing team uses versus the sales team. Yeah. I have my you know, beliefs and thoughts, but I'm not Some people might double time. up, you know? They might, yeah. You never know. COVID-19 <laughs> situations, people might, well, you know. One mind. square at a time, right? It's COVID. You got to do yeah. one square at a it's time. Location. It's like food stamps. So, um, so basically, is you, you want to have the variable as a plan. So we're going to spend this amount of programmatic, this amount of advertising, this amount on events, this amount of promotion, this amount on, on specific tools which are in your control. That's variable, usually digital marketing. For that, you wanna show the payback of that. But for fully looking at the marketing machine out of CAC, cost of acquisition, CAC of LTV, which is very important for SaaS, of course, you wanna take fully loaded, the cost of your marketing executive, the, the headcount costs, the travel costs, the tools that are annually uh, payment, or annualized in like HubSpot or Marketo, Eloqua yeah. and so forth, and Pardot especially. And you want to look at those as, as total cost. So I look at both payback pipeline for variable, payback pipeline for total, and then of course return, which is how much money revenue have we made. That's what you start with, not number of visitors. What do you call that one where it's the revenue that is like the total payback? Just payback or total or like ROI return. Okay. Yeah. That's the actual pay. That's like the real number. The cost that's, of acquisition. That's, that's what? part of the CAC that marketing gives you. Right. So for example, but remember, the pipeline conversion to closed one 
Yeah. Marketing influence, there is, of course, you do, especially for enterprise, I mean, market, my niche, you do influence campaigns, pipeline acceleration, events, branding, awareness. And of course, you're doing a lot to help sales with enablement and product marketing, but it's more controlled by sales. So if you assume that you have a 30% or 25% win rate, i.e. one of four will actually close from pipeline, then if you are saying, for example, it, it, it is um, three months payback of pipeline for marketing, i.e. Uh, I, I spend uh, three, three months worth, i.e. one to three, then if you have 25%, then it's a year payback because every one of those will close. Every, four, every fourth one of those will close. Right. That's how I look at it. And then if it's a year, a year is not cheap, but it's, it's okay. 12 months payback. Got it. You can do better. Yeah. Marketing should do way better. It should do better. I really like how you're, you're, you bring up constantly the win rate on the sales pipeline. Yeah. It seems like it's just a no-brainer. You got to know the number. I mean, I think sometimes we go by the seat of our pants. We just, they, the pipeline gets bigger and then it closes. And what's the win rate, right? Like what, is that just what, the win rate, rate per month on a rolling basis, like a rolling 30? Or? You look at it quarterly. You have to divide it because we're stuck in this quarterly thing from public companies. Yeah. That's what we used to, but it's okay. It's enough time. I like to look at sales cycle time. So if you're mid-market, you're probably doing three to six months. If you're enterprise, which I, my, my niche is mid-market and enterprise. Right. Enterprise, you're probably six to 12 or longer if it's selling to multiple line of businesses. And when you look at your win rate per quarter is you want to see how have you won or lost versus your previous quarter. So you're looking at trend. And I look at win rate and close rate. Close rate means of every dollar you closed, are you close one more than you close loss? Is it over 50%? Win rate means of every pipeline you've created, how much of it did you close win? Anything between 20 to 40% is what usually you see. Depends on the stage of the company, maturity, competitiveness, or qualification. I believe in extreme good and, and, and very hard conservative qualification so that the salespeople, when they have an SQA, sales qualified account, because I've deleted the term L, normal leads for sales, only accounts. Yeah. I believe they should have a very good, very qualified account in their hands so that the win rate is high. And then the trust of sales and marketing is very good because they see great things coming to them. I like that. The win rate is high and then it builds trust. We're yeah, not sending you rubbish. Expensive. Yeah. They're expensive and we want them to be expensive. We want them to be amazing. Uh, we want them to spend their time most of the time on amazing meetings and rooms, virtual or not, talking to people, getting them through the very hard cycle. Yeah. It's not like, oh, we gave them a lead. They, they only take five of them because they're lazy. Like, yeah. It's the wrong conversation. Right? right. So I think a lot of people were in, stuck in that game where sales is like, give us more leads. And marketing is like, here you go. And they're garbage. And, or they're not ready, but they are or whatever. You're, you've just deleted the L altogether. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm serious. Like when I build these things and I've done it a few companies already is I try to have sales never work leads. SDR sometimes, but I prefer not. And why is that? Because they want to focus on the account. Now, when you look at an enterprise and mid-market, there's usually it's very rare that you have a case that's only one contact, one buyer who's also the user, also the exec in your sales cycle. Yeah, not Why at that level, not at mid-market. I mean, maybe an SMB might have a single-person shop, but... SMB inbound especially, right? They come in, what's the price? Thank you, next price, two phones at a time. Right, right, right. Drop, okay? Let me send you a fax, okay? But 
in mid-market enterprise, this whole funnel is a piece of shit, excuse my language, it's yeah. broken. Because you have a lead that used to come in inbound, then you have it as a SAL or whatever you have it, like marketing qualified lead, MQL, then you have SAL. And then, oh, you skip to SQL, that's an op. But wait a minute, there's another four people that are relevant to this opportunity. But with the MQL, oh, I had five MQL, marketing rocks. But it only becomes one opportunity because it's the same freaking op. Right. It's the person's boss, their sister, their husband, and their girlfriend. They're all part of the, what is called the buying group. So I look at that opportunity and the funnel all the way up to MQA, marketing qualified account, as the buying group is the atomic unit, that core thing. Every buying group should assist to constitute an account and the account should have ops. That's why marketing and sales have to talk the same language. You know, I, I love that your, your niche, you really, you work with mid-market enterprise, right? You, you have a specific area. Do you encounter this challenge where companies initially sold to SMB and it's a different language, a different buying cycle, like you described, the person calling to people, price shopping all by themselves. Like there's a certain point where it becomes your atomic unit of the buying group. But sometimes companies are still used to selling to the individual. Do they, they, do they have to, I mean, it's like they have to grow up. They have to change their, their way that they sell to not be so lead focused and be more group focused. Do you, do you, how do you help coach people through that? Or do you see that? Is that is there like this little friction point where people are massive. like, yeah, they're trying to sell to S mid market, but they're treating them like an SMB. It's a massive friction point. Yeah. You need a lot of alcohol and other yeah, nice. It's, you know, uh, to each his own, but it, basically this is, I've done it a few times lately also with one company that in one year we shift from complete, complete yeah. inbound SMB to an outbound mid market enterprise up market, we have multiple persona, multiple contacts, account-based focus. It's a hard switch. And it's not just hard because of the marketing machine. It's hard because of what is called the RevOps. The alignment with sales and marketing ops later on customer success. Because you have to agree on a language and then unit. Sending, this is another thing that drives me crazy, spraying and praying to 500 people, but not working an account in depth, it's terrible when you want to be focused and targeted in modern marketing, which is the account-based focus. Yeah. Not even about ABM tools and direct mail. I'm just saying clean SDR marketing campaign management, orchestration is the word. You can't have, and this happens a lot, you'd be surprised, even to me. You can't have marketing and sales leadership saying, we're going to work on these 200 accounts. We're going to give them very high touch. We're going to have these 500 in a one to few mid-market touch. These one 1,000 a displacement of an incumbent campaign. And we're gonna work on them and they go to the SDRs and the SDRs have to work one by one. This one is warm, enrich it, go to the decision maker and medic, find the buyer, find the users and work them as an account. And then the SDR leader says, oh, cool, I love it. But then you go and see them, call, 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 seven calls, seven calls to one lead, eight calls to another lead. Just keep doing like dial for dollars, like crazy. And the burning leads, versus working an account in a strategic personalized manner. Right. There's a way you can use those wonderful tools like outreach and others to do this in a proper way and personalize. But spraying and praying, like when, you, when you're thinking about account base that you are strategically targeting and a target account list is a killer. You're, you're actually causing lack of engagement and you're burning, you're fatiguing these accounts versus working them in depth. It's extremely dangerous. 
It sounds like it's a problem for both marketing and sales if they're locked in their old ways. Their old ways is spray and pray. Sales does it too, like you just described. Sales will do the, the cold call marathon where they don't know shit about the person they're calling and they're just annoying them, annoying them you right? You buy a computer. Go to the Seinfeld episode, Lloyd Braun. It's like picking up the phone to Seinfeld versus him. Would yeah. You like buy a computer. Da, 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 da. I, right. Yeah. Just oh, tell me about does it too. Why do I need a computer? Right. How do you make that transition? Because you're right. Sales is locked in their old ways. Marketing might be doing their spray and pray thing. Yet you're trying to, how do you get, you, you did it several times. You mentioned you went from the inbound SMB to the, that, that, the outbound, the account based, you know, is that who described the account base? How do, how do you make that? How do you lead a company through? Is there maybe like three things that they really need to focus on changing to be able to do that? Sure. I start, for, first of all, with internal terminology. Okay. It's not account-based marketing. It's account-based everything. Okay. Because if you see ABM, oh, marketing is doing it. We'll keep pounding the phones. Pound the phones. But right. So you start with a pilot. You take one SDR, two SDR, the enterprise, big market one. You look at a vertical, maybe 300, 700, 800 group of accounts that you're going for, you're warming them up, what I call surging accounts. You're warming them up and doing by air cover of the buying group of personas. You send them over to them. The three things you do is start with terminology, make sure that you start with a pilot group to show success and you show that they're working well. And then you look at measurement, 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 measurement. You start with RevOps measurements, which means look at these accounts. The ACV was higher. The time to revenue was shorter. The sales cycle was quicker. And guess what? Is it better to call somebody who has been aware to your brand and has done some activity versus calling five people or completely cold and you maybe will end one of them will tell you, will pick up the phone and tell you to F off because don't talk to me anymore. You've called me 10 times today. Right. What do you think? You're a person. What would you prefer? Uh, I'll take, I'll take the, the good reaction. <laughs> no one wants to get sworn at on the phone call. Dude, SDR is the hardest job there is. It is hard. It's yeah. so hard. Being told to call, 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 email, email, email people like crazy and be rejected all the time. And I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm saying, isn't it better to go for people that have had some engagement, some awareness, right? and you know what they did. You have exactly what is, oh, we did this thing called the menu of the week. This is the campaigns. This is what is happening this week. You should, here's your recommended next touch. So it's all orchestrated with nice. many tools like this. And then they take it and personalize because they look at the person, the company, the CEO, and just add a few nuggets there. You gotta personalize it. Talk to me about the pilot group. How how large do you make it? Do you make it a little bit smaller than a normal ABE, ABE targeting group or tier one? In the company. So in the beginning, maybe you will have a pod of an AE. So maybe in the beginning you have an enterprise team that's small. Take them as your pilot. Oh. Only them with one video. If you have a mid-market or a commercial team of let's say 20, I had that an eight by eight in life and had a big teams. Um, take maybe the few that are in your office and decide together to go verticalize them. So we are only working on a retail solution or right. we are only working on e-commerce buyers versus service buyers. Or we are working only on companies in the B2B tech or financial services space in North America that have done um, something with us in the last year. Let's focus on them and do like a account based focus on them. It's, I call these themes, they run for two quarters. And then you need to measure it because the sales cycle is not so short. Right. It's not a fast thing. So I could see two quarters make sense as opposed to one quarter. And then by the end of that quarter, nothing happened yet. And you no, start focusing true. on it. Not true. You've got to see leading versus lagging indicators. The challenge is nobody in a SaaS world has time six months to say, we're trying. Call me back in six months. I'll tell you. No, no. 
there's you got to show leading you have to balance both leading and lagging yeah. lagging is revenue close one um, retention so forth leading yeah. is engagement account engagement how many of the accounts are engaged okay i'm seeing some engagement something is bubbling up how many personas are actually working better than the others change your messaging change your content are your are all your channels working more effective is direct mail working better than virtual events because we don't have in person anymore now in the future it will come back right it's a leading indicator spend more webinars reduce the time your trends report is better these speakers are worse your podcast has launched nobody's listening well hopefully not but you know yeah no no one listens to this one for sure <laughs> well, these two people are at least engaged in that so it's good right no by the way there's millions Millions of billions of people listen to this podcast. At least, um, at least this one, this episode, they are. We're all stuck at home, anyways. Right, it's true. There's true, but uh, we're all kind of dying to get back out on the road and get some commute time in, so we can listen to more podcasts. Now um, we have to see our faces instead of just listening to us. Sorry yeah. for that, guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And we have faces made for radio, right? And that's the, yeah, that's, that's the. Okay, what kind of actions? You've got your pilot group. You, you've got, um, you know, they've picked a tier one group of maybe 20 accounts or something. They want to go after a small hit team. What kind of actions do you recommend they take on those new targets? They've got? Can I have the Thor thing again? I yeah, yeah, here you go. But you still have it. There you go. There. Smash. Do not go and buy an ABM tool before you know what the hell you're doing with the con base and how it works and intent and data. But a lot. It doesn't technology solve all of our problems? <laughs> yes, like Salesforce, plug and play, done. Right. <laughs> Salesforce is incredible. The best CRM probably ever. But it's all about customizing it. Yeah, you got to use it. Yeah. Do not be a slave to the tool. Be a master. The tool serves your business logic. You can, it's just crazy. Um, I've done a con base before it was called a con base. In the last five What was it called? Years. What was it called? Was it called like a caveman? We called it caveman. I had a beard. Yeah, know, right. Under quarantine, but I decided to shave it. You know, it is what it is. Totally. All this shouted at me. Um, so it's actually, it was just called automation or whatever. Sure. And it's all about really looking at what you're trying to achieve. Set your measurements, put your goals in, drive the behavior and fit scores. Look at the account base with your um, preferred marketing automation platform. And then just see how people are engaging and then try and test more tools like direct mail and email and retargeting and dynamic content, all the sophistication you can do. Right. And then advertising through ABM tools and orchestration tools, they will help you. But if you start with that, do you think your SDR team is going to jump like this into an ABM tool and like, woohoo, we're dropping, all, we're drop, dropping our outreach and sales off and all those. We're right. now ABM because that's it. No, you've got to show them the money. Right. So your pilots right. would to start with, okay, marketing is doing air cover. It's, this is what my, I love mid-market. It's one to few. It's not one to one. Right. Taking a group of hundreds of accounts, maybe something like thousands or hundreds, you're dropping air cover bombs, not real bombs, relax. It's, a, it's just a term. Okay. Like you, you're inviting them to webinars and showing them research papers and doing things that are relevant to the industry. You're showing them how you're better from a compare perspective to their incumbent, which you're displacing. You're showing them reviews. You're giving them personal nuggets in the middle of the funnel, like case studies. You're showing them trends reports, like all the stuff that is content yeah. marketing one one and which is relevant to them. Use cases, a digital tool, I'm a big believer in, in a ROI tool, a digital discovery tool that's a teaser. You're giving them that. When they surge a bit, but not one lead, the people that are the decision maker, the buyer, 
your executives, your users, and influencer personas, when they start surging, you score them. They yeah. reach an MQA level, and then you give it to the guys and the girls over at the SDR and AE team that to focus on. And they just go by warm to cold. That's all it is. You ask what they do, just work warm to cold and understand these are not hot leads that raise their hand and want a demo. Tons of them will do this if you do this right. You will get people coming in and asking for a demo that you've never heard of, but they were influenced by what you did. They're part of their account, but you never had the contact because nobody knows all the context relevant, right? Right. There's no tool that solves all of it. And then all they need to do is understand why did they talk to us? What was the buyer journey? Yeah. And then continue it with the logical step. Oh, somebody was at a webinar on this topic, downloaded a white paper on this topic, but it makes sense that they're interested in this topic. So let's talk to them about how this topic relates to them. The translation layer of one to few to one to one happens exactly then. That's what sales need to do. I have a strict rule that if, if anybody in SDR sales is sending an email that I could send better in HubSpot, Pardot, Eloqua, Marketo, they shouldn't be sending the email. Oh, I love that. Because Say it again. Better tool. Say it again. So if they, if they're signed, and I'll just try to paraphrase you and you can correct me. If, if someone's trying to send an email on the sales side, BDR, STR, sales, and you could send the same one or better in HubSpot, Pardot, something else, then they shouldn't send it because it's not personalized, right? Is that what you're saying? 100%. 100%. But that's when you're marketing your RevOps in this place. Yes, I understand that you want a BDR to send from outreach, sales, loft, and so forth, many emails in their name. Right. My friend, I can do that much better in a marketing automation platform. Mm -hmm. That's not the goal of having those tools. Exactly. You can't can. replace your marketing automation platform. They should supplement, complement. I can easily send from your name uh, an amazing cadence that is text, not HTML, that has better analytics from the marketing automation tool and give it into the scoring mechanism. Those other tools are meant to have a cadence for you that you take and personalize that marketing cannot do. Yeah. I know everybody want another myth. Here it is. Marketing can do one-to-one -one at scale. BS. Right. And that's the whole point. It's not, you can't. The ICP to as much small pieces, but it's not one-to-one. One-to-one -one. One -one is called relationship marketing. It's a different, complete approach. Tell me about one-to-one. One-to-one is, is like me and you right now. Yeah. Okay. This is personalized. You yeah. swear it's me. I swear it's you. There's nobody else here. So I can Do take it. You want to buy something? <laughs> <laughs> so one-to-one -one marketing yeah. is really marketing and sales working together on mapping an account, understanding their pain, working about personalization, and then doing custom. Custom is the word. A custom video, a custom event a custom discovery day, a custom presentation, a custom direct mail. Like uh, things we try to look at and do is a banner across the street from the headquarters of a big airline company. Mm. We buy it and we, and we put on there the thing. You do like a cupcake drop in front of the office and with your logo on it and like, and have a good morning or a coffee. You send them a personalized video that is their use case, their today and tomorrow, as is to be in consulting we call it. That's one-to-one. Right. -one. right. You know what? I had an aha moment just now as you're describing that. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, when you said that you can't do one-to-one -one at scale, I'm with you because the words are correct. But then when I was really thinking about it, for sure, I've tried to do that. And in my, my tears, of, the tears, <laughs> the tears I cried, the tier, the different levels of accounts, I, thinking now, 
the way the cool things you're describing, I for sure tried to make my one-to-one like a one-to-few. Like my one-to-one has been too large, so large that I can't, I can't do, I can't do all those things. The you know, size of the company dependent on how resources. If you can't do all those magical things, to all your tier ones, it's not a, t- it's not your top tier. It's, it's not your. Yeah, it's one to few, right? And that's okay. It's one to few, but then I have to pick off a subset of that to be one to many. Yeah. Use your strategic account, the Glen Gary account, cream the creme de la creme, whatever you want to call this, top twenty pie per AE. Take the top five that yeah. you know are the bullseye of your ICP. Like these are the must-win account in the next thirty-six months, three years, and start working on them one to one for twenty-four months engagement. Yes, right. there might be now a client of your number one competitor. But shit, man, they're up for renewal in a year and a half. You better start working on being in their face right now because right. that's a dollars deal. And your competitor's not bringing them flowers. They're not, he's not wooing them. They're married. They forgot about them already. Their competitor has a seat at the table that you're dreaming to get. Right. But sure. They're not telling you the love. It's all about customer experience now. Yeah. You showcase them. You don't find their executive. You find the person who wants to be an executive in a year. You uh-huh. do on the podcast and you make them a hero. There's so many tactics that have worked for me. All right. So you don't, you don't get the decision maker you get, or you don't get the VP. You get the one that wants to be the VP. Yeah. You get the next one in line and you make them a VP because they, they switch to you. Wow. From buying ABM. Wow. Yeah, you, you shouldn't say that. You should say everybody wins when you buy from us, you get promoted. Yeah. And you send them a magazine, fake magazine holding the JD power award and the best the best of the year. So then CIO of the year fake article and said like um, how Johnny became or how Sally became the, the, the next VP of automation um, after switching from IBM to us. Right. I guarantee you they will keep that on their desk and it was funny. Like yeah. time, you can't do that to, you can't do that to the many group. You can't do that to the few, but you, you could do that to the one to one. One to one all the way. One yeah. to one. Choose your top 20, top 30 to 40 that you're focusing in in the next three months. And do them. Invite them to a red carpet. We did a, we called it an orange carpet event. Had a wonderful team that really ran this, amazing. And we we invited only the thirty to forty best, best, best clients and prospects. And we gave them a day and a half VIP of New York City sailing and everything across Manhattan, all the way. And we gave them a one-to-one discovery workshops. It was an endless access. It's a complete different marketing, high-touch relationship. That's, that's amazing. What size company? Can you help me figure out the ratio? Because I feel like a lot of us are making our one-to-one group too large. And we're... we're no, no silver bullet. No Probably silver. 100 to 150 accounts max are that one-to-one over the next X amount. You can't do 150 of them now. Right. Slice it. Yeah. Or regionalize it. Like Latin America... Versus North America, versus Europe, versus Asian. Yeah. Each one can have 40, but then you have your regional field market. It depends if you're a data right. company or if you're small. Start with a 50. 50 is wonderful. 20. And, and here's, so, like, I know, know you're more mid market, but like an SMB, like I'm thinking about myself, right? I'm thinking about our own campaigns. You know, what, what's a reasonable number of doing all these kind of crazy act? Maybe it's 10, you know, to a smaller SMB. I don't know. The so bigger I'm, companies I see, like 20, 30, 40. So I'm enterprise and mid-market. Both I know. From an automation, I'm very mid-market, but from one-to-one, I'm, I'm all the way deep like an enterprise guy. For, in SMB, you don't do this. You cannot do this. If it only, I would say maybe there's no rule of thumb, but I would look and say, okay, 
if my regular ACV, my average ACV is let's say 10, let's go low, like the ACV, like SMB. If I now see a sub-segment vertical trend, maybe now during COVID-19, it's like completely changed, that can be 40, like 4X or 3X my regular, anybody who fits into that should be a different segment. Yeah. So I usually like to look at 2X. ACV is the bare minimum for defining the strategic enterprise from the rest. Bare minimum. So for example, if you're 100K, I think you should go for 250 and above. People that will give you 250 and above um, of your book. Or maybe even five hundred and above in a three in a contract value for the next three years. Got it. So you look the whale. You look for the big, the exactly big right. ACV, the big fish, the big revenue, the big purchase. Listen, you can if you if you're a sardine hunter, then you can do one too many inbound strategy. All that. If you like to go for tuners, which is the mid market, you know that you can pack them. They come in packs and that. Yeah. But dude, the whales, the whales are whale hunting is amazing, and then the super whales which is like the Moby Dicks of the world. Right. Those, you don't know when they're going to show up. You don't have, so you have to go after them and find them. And that's a whole different ballgame. Got it. Got it. Yeah, I definitely see the difference. And there's a bit of a, a lot of a shift going on in your mind to be able to, you know, your team's sardines, right? If you got a bunch of sardine fishers, you, you pick a couple, couple people and say, okay, all right, we got enough sardines. Let's go get some tuna. Okay, now let's get some whales. Like, let's... Let's, let's go well, up the chain. Your teams accordingly. One of the most, I mean, joke, all jokes aside, one of the most frustrating things is if you have a tuna hunter in a commercial or higher commercial, it's mainly the mid-market team. Yeah. All they're doing is freaking targeting sardines, talking to sardines, spending 50% of the time on sardines and maybe converting them. That's inefficient. Who cares? Yeah. Your CAC and your payback, you're spending CPSQA, cost per SQA, that is way higher and you're having a high-touch model with SDRs mapped to AEs and so forth for mid-market. Yeah. If all you're doing is landing sardines at a third of the ACV you're looking for, that's something's wrong. Either the wrong target audience or the qualification rules are shitty. They should be pushed down to the, uh, to the sardine hunters that throw a net and pick up mm. 50 one, low-touch, no-touch. Like, you need to tell, swim in your own swim lane. If you're a tuna hunter, you should not take sardines, even though they're easy. There's inbound sardines. I'm telling you, you want a myth? Inbound sardines are terrible for tuna hunters. Yeah. Because they get lazy and they take these sardines and they think, oh no, man, I need to feed myself. I'm like a big whale. I need to feed myself 100 sardines or four tunas. Mm, you know what? Oh, these 20 sardines are easy to catch. Yeah, but good luck getting the next 80. And it's terrible unit economics and you're spending too much on them. And then the marketing cack sucks. Not good. Not good. Wow. I could see how you, you come into an organization that do you, do you see a lot of that where you see a lot of the whale hunter tuna? I, too, I can see tuna. It can be tricky, right? Whale hunters, you, if you're the whale hunters, they will not touch yeah. a sardine. Yeah. Unless the sardine comes and begs to you, <laughs> only time they'll take it. If it's a investor or an executive referral, Hey man, my buddy from all from school wants to work with us. I'll give him my best AE spend a four, four day sell cycle and close it. That's a relationship thing. It's like a portfolio of your investors. That's different. Channel, yeah. maybe testing out the channel in the beginning, sending sardines that way. You want your best AEs and SEs, your solution engineers on that. Right. But the, 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 the whale hunters probably won't, go, won't target sardines. They'll, they'll smell them, they'll say, this is smell just sardine, throw them away. That doesn't smell like whale, that smells like sardine. No, thank yeah, you. Like the sniff test, right? Yeah. Like, they want like 
if it's a nice big as tuna, they're like, all right, that comes my way. But your rules of engagement and your RevOps lead flow and account flows and segmentation should never allow the whale hunter to be assigned a, a, a tuna. Yeah. So basically the confusion usually is inbound sardines that smell, they look like tuna, but when you smell them are sardines, the AEs are a lot of times, and SDRs especially, are reluctant to throw them down to the commercial or SMB team, or even to say no, if it's not good business. It's hard. So you need very strong marketing ops filtering yeah. and great agreements of rules of engagement with your SDR leaders for inbound and especially for BDRs to never go after them. I've seen bad behavior. I'm not blaming them. Yeah. But like, yeah, oh, yeah. We found, we saw somebody in a trade show. They came by a booth. They, they want a demo to buy. I was like, all right, are they, what segment are they? I don't know. They're small. All right. So release them back to the water. It's like fish. <laughs> throw them back in, man. Yeah. One bite. Come on, throw them back in the water. Right. It's like those, uh, you see the, you know, guys are fishing or they're doing crab fishing and they have a little, little measurement stick and they put it to the crab. It's like, nope, too small. Throw it overboard. That, you you know, know who should do that? RevOps. RevOps should do that before it gets to sales. Yeah. Don't show. That's why they don't work leads. That stays as a lead and they blind. In Salesforce, they should not be seeing leads, only accounts. Oh, I see. It's okay. So if someone, something new does come in, RevOps is looking at it ideally and they're deciding, is this lead a part of an account that is, where, where does it go? And so the, then your, 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 your whale hunter or your tuna hunter gets an account sent to them and it's like, hey, this one's ready for you or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because these, again, you, you might get a lot of companies that are too small for you now, but they will grow. Keep them as leads, nurture them. But your, your, your sellers should even, shouldn't even see them. They only get the accounts that have passed the test of rules that to get assigned to them. Right, right. So I love that. Things to work on? Yeah, I love that. Do you, do you have companies that when you first start working with them, everyone is fishing for everything all at the same time. Like there's no distinction. It's a shit show. Yeah. yeah. And, and then usually what you see is the most tenured AE, whether good or bad, hopefully good, have these hundred accounts in their name because they were first to choose them that are legendary and could be a million dollar account. And everybody else is scraping to find other ones. You got to reset and, and you got to peanut butter it. You got to say, here's my tier one accounts, 100. Every seller gets 20 in the same segment. In like the right. Here's my tier two. Everybody gets that. My tier three, nobody gets them. That's a pool that marketing owns. When they get warm, I send it to you and you prioritize it. That's one way to look at it. Right, right. Let marketing own that and then send it to you if they're ready to actually buy. Otherwise, don't waste your time. Don't waste Go your time. for the big boys, personalize them, work them well. We'll do air cover to them. We'll get them like nice and warm and ready for you. But the other ones that well, don't waste time, let that marketing warm them up. Yeah. And you know, if sales is nothing but like time management, right? If you think about it, it's like go, trying to, you only have so much time in the day and you're trying to close things that will close and it, trying to prioritize and maximize and it, however marketing can help that is just makes everyone happy. I believe that a modern B2B marketer um, should focus on not just lead generation, but quality, full funnel, and make sure that one of the main things they, they look at is not wasting sales time. Right. It's very bad. It's expensive. It's misleading. And it leads to a lot, lack of trust and focus. Right. So the better the qualification, the better the quality that you send over, 
that it, and it's good. And then they come and say, you're sending me shit leads. Like, okay, so we'll send you less leads. They're going to quality. Are you ready for that? Right. I think it's better. This is amazing, man. This is fantastic. Where, where does this go? If you think about the future, where, where is this evolving? Do you see things improving or, you know, you've been doing this for a while too. You, you were an ABM before it was ABM. So where does this go? Is there, you see any trends or tech coming down the future that kind of excite you? I'm excited about consolidation in the ABM space because uh, we're seeing companies being eaten up by others. Um, two things happy about. One, I'm getting less spammed. That's <laughs> right. Why not? Second thing is, um, it, it's the, the, the whole MarTech world. I look at the Lumascape or the other one, like, it's like what is it, like 7,000 companies in the oh, market? Yeah, million. Crazy. Right? Yeah. So, like, why don't you get seven tools to optimize the SDR's hat? Get another 15 tools to optimize heat maps on the left top corner of your screen. Like, no, you don't even need one. So there's only so many tools we can handle. RevOps is becoming way, I see these trends. One, RevOps becoming a lot more important than um, siloed um, operations and siloed campaign management because it starts with having everybody orchestrated a line to the thing and ideally in a mature company with great executives, RevOps does not sit under the CRO or the CMO. It's in the middle. CFO, CRO, whatever. The, the, they say they serve two masters, but they are objective. Okay? Serve two masters. I like that. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard to do. I've done it twice. Yeah, I did it once in internship. It was tough. It's, it's hard. But I mean, I've aligned that in the middle twice. Yeah. Not easy. Um, because not every company is ready for it. Most are not. Um, mm -hmm. That's one. Second trend, consolidation of the market of marketing tools. Just the basics that you need. Best of breed hopefully will meet um, everything around end to end so that you can buy like a, a Salesforce related um, or a Marketo related, i.e. Adobe mm -hmm. and others like Padot will, have, will come with everything. Mm -hmm. You'll have 60, 70, 80% of what you need in one because all of these niche solutions, even though it's what I love, I, I represent some of these companies and I'm advisor to many of them, are good, but it's hard to integrate them and look at them and then measurement yeah. is becoming Measurement and measuring successfully and impactfully is very hard. That's why RevOps is so important. So A, RevOps, very mature RevOps. B, um, focus on consolidation of companies that give you an array and functionality with account base versus everything all over the place. Right. And the third one is um, sales leadership, wor working closer with market marketing leadership on awareness and, and what is called the dark funnel or uh, in market or intent or any other buzzword you want to know. That is, they take that as an important signal, not right. just lead demo work. The focus starts with a lot of data. Right. It might not say that I'm buying now. There's a sell cycle and a buyer journey. And it starts with MQA. It doesn't start with opportunity. The sell cycle is going up. It starts earlier in the funnel. Right. I.e., it's awareness. It's a, it's a classic buyer journey. Uh, you know, education, awareness, consideration, purchase. But the sales cycle is 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 blending into the marketing sales cycle. It's becoming one. It's becoming one. Right. Sales are being orchestrating into earlier on in the cycle, with target accounts, with outbound, 
ABM. Outbound is ABM. That's something I use a lot. There is no outbound without account-based marketing. It doesn't make sense to just to call the outbound all day long. Yeah, that's like old terminology, really. And it's incomplete. Makes it's sense. Hey, who are you, man? Who are you? I, like, you know a lot of things. My mind is on fire right now. I've, I've had a few aha moments. Literally, not just like, oh, talk show person telling you that. Like, I'm really reimagining um, the one-to-one -one relationships. So, take us back in time. Little Alan, like, how, where are you from? How did you all do all these things? Yeah, um, back to the future. So, <laughs> right. So, I, I did, um, I started in technology um, after the army service. I'm Israeli originally. So, after the army service, I went. Oh, uh, you're skipping so much life, man. Okay. Where were you born? <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm, I was born in Israel outside of Tel Aviv. Okay. But I. Because of this weird accent, you can pick up that I'm not an Israeli accent original, but rather I grew up in South Africa for many years. So it's like a combination of, so you, okay. So Israel then went from there to South Africa? Yeah, you, yeah. You always want to diversify how, you know, uh, chaotic a place is. So you choose one of the most chaotic. <laughs> you did go from some tough, yeah. yeah. Why the move? Did your parents get some jobs down there? My, dad, my dad's company, yeah. Okay. My dad's company went to a little shithole place, beautiful place on the, on the ocean called East London, down the coast of the Indian Ocean, and spent a few years <clears throat> there, and then Joburg, which is the biggest city. And then came back to good old uh, Israel, did my army service. How old are you, sorry, how old were you in, in, in South Africa? I was 9 to, nine to 16, 9 to 15. Oh, so you so, I mean, any memories from that? What do you remember? Was it, you said it was a shithole, were there any positives, or was it as chaos? Oh, no, no, it was a shithole, small place, but we loved it, it was like, canoeing and jungles and really? monkeys eating bananas off the tree really? we had dogs we had a tennis court and a pool it was very cheap um it's like no i can't afford that in new york trust me yeah um, and and then um we went to the kruger national park which is the size of new jersey and so wild animals going on safari do sailing you do surfing you do kayaking it's gorgeous food is amazing beautiful country with with challenges that we're seeing in the whole world today about the difference between race and, and status apartheid yeah. we were there in the end of apartheid which was crazy time but now obviously it's much better because apartheid was abolished um it was an experience that amazing beautiful country that had a lot of downsides but you know things move on and yeah and you made the most of it and and then i went back to israel to do my uh, end of school and army so and you went for what computer science I did computer science and economics. Yeah, is that before the army or after? No, no, it's after the army. I decided to, uh, the regular path, three years army, and then go get wasted somewhere for a year. <laughs> you need that after the, yeah, for sure. And then come back and do some school. Um, I, I, I'm, I decided that technology is something I like. I learned it in the army. Yeah. And I was, was intrigued by the business side. That's why I did a double degree. Okay. Uh, double major. And then, and then I worked in consulting for many years. I didn't go into the engineering most people out of computer science going like engineering, coding, right. QA, whatever, product. I went straight into the consulting world. Okay. I did PwC and others for many years. And then enabled me to see a lot of businesses and a lot of logic. And that's why I fell in love in data and BI. Yeah. The BI for ages. Because uh, your second major was economics, right? So yeah. it's like, 
you had like the numbers and the tech, but it was the human yeah. side as well as the tech. Yeah, I, I'm a B2B2C person. So B2B in the way of the business, but I understand the attendee, the consumer. Yeah. The, the, that, and I tell a story. I'm a storyteller in that way. I want to tell the story that resonates with the end person and the buyer. So it's important. And then I uh, decided to take a break and go drink a lot of um, uh, Yingling and other nice uh, good beer down in the south in, in, in North Carolina for two years. Uh, it's very expensive. Um, I call it one of the most expensive camps in the world, uh, doing an MBA. <laughs> More expensive than my kids' camp. Oh, you went I, to Duke? Yeah. Are you, are you still paying that off or did you finally get it done? <laughs> Everything's okay. Yeah. It's been a long time. Yeah. Um, that was wicked. Great experience. But you went for marketing. So at some point between computer science and economics, you sniffed out the, I mean, you said you went into consulting, but at some point were you like, oh, this is called marketing and I freaking love it. So I started with the product actually. Oh, okay. Product manager um, and for many years, like three, four years, not that many. Um, yeah. But basically why, why I did that is because, um, and that's why I chose Duke as well, because it's a brand management school and brand marketing school. So I really wanted to take the CPG, the brand, the B2C approach yeah. and apply it. I knew that I'm B2B all the way and apply it to B2B. So right. the concepts I look for is engagement, advertising, people telling stories, relating, persona messaging, why it makes somebody do something versus how it works. Talk about them, the value metric versus other people. Value metric is something I believe in, different conversation. What's it um, called? The value metric. Okay. Like how are you providing value to somebody? Okay. You can measure that? Oh, it's a whole art, man. I love it. We'll have to have you come back on later and talk about it. Deal. Sign me up. Um, All right. So, so I really wanted to do products. So I took, I, I went to Avaya for, I stayed Avaya like seven years, a long time. Yeah. Uh, and I did product management, but then I felt that product management as great as it is. It's like being a mini PNL owner and, and a CEO of a small um, world. Yeah. You're not close enough to the market. So I went to marketing, to product marketing, which is my main discipline to understand the market better, but still be close to the product. And basically product marketing for me is a triangle of sales, marketing, i.e. sells the market and your solution. And that's the only thing in the company that triangulates the three and makes sure that's a two-way street between them all. Right. Close to the market, solution roadmap, so forth. Okay. And I love product marketing. I'm one of the people that has done it for a long time. And then I grew up through the ranks, you know, got leadership and then I was fortunate to be able to get to an executive level and be the marketing, the number one marketing leader in a few different companies. And, different, and then I went to smaller companies that it's two startups back to back. Right. And now I give a lot of advice and consulting to companies between half a day to a day, usually not a lot more. Right. Days a week. And I'm really liking it because that's smaller companies probably don't need me for a full week. And it's also expensive. But I help them, the A round companies, B round companies, a little bit earlier to get to that stage. Oh, that's cool. I got a couple I should introduce you to. All right. If they're nice and a queue and have cool hats, go, all right, bring them on. Uh, no, not cool hats, but cool hair, like movie star hair. You know, Usually like, when you have cool hair, you don't need the cool hats. Exactly. In fact, you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, what, what a crazy journey. Um, I have a hypothetical for you. If you, uh, I may have a time machine in New Hampshire. I may. Um, if COVID's all done and everything and you come visit, I'll let you use my time machine. You go back in time and you can talk to yourself, um, maybe right after university, maybe right after the army. Um, what kind of advice would you give yourself? 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, one, um, eat less. <laughs> but that's any age. Um, so here's the thing. I rode the, ne the, the worst timing possible. Really? I ended school at 2001. Like ah, literally geez. beginning of 2001. What, you know what happened then? Yeah, 9-11. The dot-com bubble burst in 2000. And dot-com, yeah. And I started, I'm like, great, great. And then I went to my MBA school, started MBA in 2005. The peak of the peak of the peak is when I went to school. Oh, geez. Got out 2007, in September, what happened? Boom, economic downside. So what I would tell myself if I had this crystal ball, I was like, listen, man, don't, don't go into school when it's the peak of the market. Go to school now when it's market down. It's the best time to go learn and come back when the market's too hot. That's what I would tell myself. That's, that's so smart. That makes total sense. I rode a good wave. I'm not saying no, dude. I've been very fortunate. Probably had some luck to do with it. Maybe a bit of brains or whatever. A little bit of looks, but who knows. But, it's a, but I've been fortunate and I've been lucky and I'm, and I'm thankful for a lot. Family, friends, kids, of course. And my success. But riding the wave and anticipating it is just the most amazing thing if you could do it. Right, right. And kind of to be a little bit more observant around if people listening to like, okay, where are things? Okay, time to go to if school. If I thought about it, now would be the time versus things are crushing and people are getting hired and companies are getting sold. Like maybe that's the time to be on that wave as opposed yeah. to going to school during that period of time. Yeah, makes sense. For all those looking to get their, their NBA or something, this is some, some wise advice. Do it now. Yeah. What's that? Do it now. It's COVID-19. Do it now. Are crazy. Yes, it is an amazing time to be alive and very hard and very unfortunate time. But is it the best time to open a business? Is it the best time to try and advance your career? Maybe it's hard. So maybe this is a time to also do some schooling if right. you're waiting for it anyway. Well, you still think it's valuable? Uh, um, the remote versus on-site. Did you, you were on-site for your MBA? Oh, yeah, beer drinking is usually done on-site. Yeah. It is, it yeah. is. Virtual yeah. is not nearly as fun. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I've never done a full degree remotely because I just yeah. didn't want to and it wasn't really popular. Um, to do, one of the things when you're doing a higher degree, especially business, you want to learn from people around you and experience people and and really have a networking effect. I think if it's virtual, you lose that. I think so, yeah. And so, hey, I don't even know if MBAs are worth what they're at all, even when I went or now, that's a whole different discussion. But I, I, I don't know if it's worth going to school virtually, but hey, let's hope everything will be coming back in the next Do you think week. your MBA was worth it? In hindsight, yes, because it gave me a change of career and a change of location because i came to the u.s and did it done it through the legal and right channel but was it worth the money i don't know yeah if i'd stayed in my prior job you don't know but you're an roi guy you you cut you, all your kpis you you calculate everything out but i guess some things you just can't measure with that well i can because if i could if i could measure the return of skipping that staying in israel or going here with a relocation i would probably be in the same place okay but it probably accelerated yeah my, my my decision making and enabled me to open more doors and hey two years of fun that's not bad two years of fun and did you meet some good people at duke and 
I met amazing people, amazing excellent people. beer pong players and others. Uh, so, so you had that network effect and cause I'm with you if I, cause I haven't done one and I, I contemplated it, at, but I, I think it would be less about the paper for me and more exactly what you're describing the people. So I would okay. want to go to a school where even if I didn't even go to class, like meeting the people and learning from them to your point around you, that sounds like the, the real power. I'm a big believer in in-person. We'll come yeah. back. I believe in it also from a professional perspective. When you go to a trade show, when you go to an event, when you go, it enables you to take a mode in your brain of now I'm thinking, I'm not in the office and craziness heads down. I'm raising my head, listening, and you get to get time to think about things and absorb. Yeah. I had two years of it in, 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 around, in the end of my 20s and early 30s. And it gave me time to think about who I am, what I want to do, time off. Yes, it was expensive. And me to do an internship to test. When the hell do you have 12 weeks to test a new job? Yeah, That's true. Age 30. So it's an extremely valid way to think about your career progression. But it's an expensive way. Right. True. True. But you're right. I mean, internships are powerful, uh, as are learning from each other and the network effect. And building a strong network, not just some randos on LinkedIn who send you a message, but people that you've People that you've beer ponged with are people that you and you can stay in touch with. Those are real connections right there. If you've partied with someone, then you, you go back a little bit deeper than just a surface level meet and greet. Even in this virtual world, I believe that I always say to people, if you had one beer with somebody face to face and then you go back to your offices across the world, you still have a connection. It's you true. Them, you can slack them. You can send them something and they're like, hey, dude, what's up? You still drinking? No, no, it's actually 9 a.m. All right, cool. Let's talk about business. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's my, it's interesting because you hear a lot of people talking about going to virtual events and all this. And I just, for me personally, I miss the, everything you've just described is what I miss about the virtual events. And I don't think it's like, you can even try to replace that. Right. What are you going to virtually beer pong with a breakout session at 4am? No, there's some magic that happens with the in-person stuff where you meet someone. I've, I've met people accidentally just by being friendly. And then we ended up um, hanging out the entire time at Dreamforce, you know, and you made some really cool connections and it's, it's cool. It's virtual does not replace that. Right. Can it replace elements of learning, right. some cooking for business, yeah. um, understanding and education, of course. Does it replace the experience? Never. Right. It is what it is. There it is, man. It's crazy. So, you're, you're in a different location because of COVID right now. Are you, are you having a chance to play tennis again and all that good stuff? Or? I'm teaching my son now a bit. I'm not an expert. I like, love the game. Being somebody who lives in New York, it's hard to really play a lot. Yeah. Unless you spend a lot of money. Um, so we're going, yeah, with a few courts down the road. We play, which we started practicing. We bought him a tennis record. We're going to practice. And uh, the goal actually is now to start being outside as much as you can, but it's 90 degrees. So it's freaking hot. It is. Yeah, it's getting hot out there. Tell me about tennis real quick because, um, you know, I was playing Wii tennis, you know, on the Nintendo, right, with my wife. Much and we were... healthier than regular tennis. What's that? Much healthier than regular tennis. It is it? Sweat, there's no sun. You don't exercise. <laughs> right. No, no, no um, ultraviolet rays. We were really good at it, right? So we, we would beat all the other couples. This is many years ago. All the other couples we'd have come over for parties. We do doubles and we would crush them on Wii tennis. We would crush them. So we thought, you know what? We should go play real tennis. We bought two rackets at Walmart, you know, a bucket of balls. We went out there. We were terrible. 
totally different. It's like, well, obviously it's different, but it was funny that it's like, oh, okay, we actually got to learn and practice this. Do you have any? You have any advice? Any tips on the? Yeah, like, I don't think you should do this, but it's like if you're playing a shooting game yeah. and then you really go and shoot. No, <laughs> oh, it's not the same. Or you're playing a driving game really right. hard and fast, and then you go try drive hard fast. It's not the same. Right. Or <laughs> like virtual, as we talked about, virtual events are not the same as in person. Not the same. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, virtual reality is definitely not the same. Uh, this company I advise now is Iris, the amazing virtual reality solution. But it's not the same, even though it feels like the same. If you have an augmented reality, it's not the same as real. Virtual is actually the same. Interesting. Well, eventually, though, that, that stuff might be really hard augmented to tell. Augmented is different because it's made up, but virtual is literally it. It's one-to-one yeah. -one the same. But augmented is like being in this game, Fortnite, or whatever they call it, and like car theft, auto, whatever, all this crazy stuff. Grand theft auto? Come on, am I correcting you on your games? Did your kids play these? I, no, they're too young, thank God. No, thank God, you're right. I'll do FIFA any day. But, like, yeah, like, like, it's, like, like, it's like, oh, yeah, I beat Barcelona 5-0. I'm, I'm so good at football. I'm at soccer. And then you go play and you can barely make it up the field. Like, no, it doesn't mean you're good. Right, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> There's elements to both of those things, for sure. Um, man, this has been fun. It's been a blast. Where can people connect with you? LinkedIn is better. Alone yeah. walks. A-L-O-N-W-A-K-S. Okay. If you want to shoot me an email, it's alonwalks at gmail.com. But LinkedIn is much better. It's the real me. It's the real alonwalks, not fake. Right. And uh, yeah, it looks like uh, not so much on the Twitter, huh? <laughs> yeah, I used to. Who's I'm that five. guy in that Twitter photo? How, how, how old is that photo? Half of me. It's this side. It's probably me like 12, 15 years ago. I was going to say. <laughs> Free ice cream, pre beer. You look like you're about to slay, slay in New York City or something. It looks like you're about to go clubbing or something. <laughs> um, awesome, man. Well, okay, so people will connect with you there. And as always, you know, when you reach out, you definitely want to say you heard on the podcast. Don't be one of those creepy biz dev stalkers yeah. doing the one to, one to many. Go one to few, one to one here. Or connect with me and say, hey, would you like to buy something? Maybe right. say hi first. You know, I always wait, right? Because they do the whole connection and you accept and you're like, what, what? And then they go, hey, you want to? I'm like, nope, block. <laughs> it's, it's an unfortunate spray and pray mechanism as we talked about like 30 minutes ago. Yeah. It's, it's not the way to do it. Not the Earn way to the do it. Earn the right to talk to someone. Earn the right to talk to, uh, yes. Earn it, for sure. Well, I, I hope I earned it. I don't know what I did to deserve it, but this has been fantastic, man. Alan, thank you so much for coming on here and, teaching me quizzing me up on these things it's been fantastic anytime my man good stuff Go well, we're gonna have to have you come back and talk value for sure anyways and maybe we'll, we'll tell, some, tell some army stories at some point yeah the value metric is an important topic okay talk about it any day but if somebody wants to have a conversation about icp and value metric and atomic unit okay hit me up. okay yeah for sure do you know um peter fader you guys both love value metrics. And so maybe I'll have to connect you guys afterwards on this thing. Um, for those people listening, if you've learned something, and I freaking know you did because I have two pages of notes over here. I ran out of space, right? No room left on this piece of paper. I always force myself, only one piece, right? So I'm like putting stuff in there. Um, but I know you learned something. So share this with someone else. Be a thought leader. One person, 18 people, 74 
198 people. Just get this message out. 2 million people. Share what you learn. Put your takeaways on LinkedIn and get that message out. And uh, Lon, thank you again, man. This, this has been fun. We'll see you on the next one. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. All right. For everyone listening, this has been the Hardcore Marketing Show. We'll catch you all next time. Thank you.